All right, if you got a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. That's where we are uh, working through our Bible study. And um, I hope you got a copy of God's Word. If not, you can find one in the, probably on the bookshelf in front of you or underneath the seat there, down there in the bottom, or maybe on your phone. Turn Facebook off first or Instagram. Make sure you look at the, the Bible app. Uh, if you look at 1 Thessalonians, though, we've been studying through uh, 1 Thessalonians here for a couple weeks. Started out, uh, who... Who was the human author of 1 Thessalonians? Anybody want to take a shot? Paul? Yeah, the Apostle Paul was, right? He uh, wrote this to the church at Thessalonica, um, who was a small church, who was a church that just started. Obviously, they were Gentiles, and uh, up until this point, they never really understood the covenant of God. They never really understood what it meant to be servants of God. They never really understood what it meant to have a relationship with God, but all of a sudden, Paul comes talking about this man named Jesus that saved their sin, saved them from their sins, and they could confess and trust in Jesus Christ, and their lives could be forever changed. And they got born again, and they began meeting together as fellow believers, and they began um, worshiping together and began serving together. And uh, Paul blew in, blew up, and blew out, right? That's what he was. He was a missionary. He was a, uh, an evangelist. He, he came in. He went on his missionary journey, uh, continued on. And uh, so he kept getting this word from people talking about the little church there. They were having problems with this. They having problems with that. They were severely persecuted. They uh, were wondering about this, about the end of times. They were wondering about, you know, uh, all these different things. And so Paul sent back Timothy, who also is another little letter in the Bible or epistle in the Bible. And um, he went back, tried to pastor him for a while, and then Paul wanted to go back, and we'll read what happened to Paul a little later um, in Thessalonians here, but we picked up in chapter 1, talking about what it means to be a church, what it means to uh, come together under the name of Jesus Christ, what it means to be called out together, church universal. Uh, We would be members of this same church. These people were members of the church of Jesus Christ. We are members of the same universal church, but we are also local members of this church, of our church. Um, And we come together to worship God, to serve God, to learn about God. And uh, if you've been here on Sunday mornings, you've been learning our core values, to connect with God, to to grow, to serve. I almost forgot my sermon for this Sunday. It's grow. That's right. Uh, To grow (laughs) as a Christian, to serve, and to reach. And uh, we're going to talk about all four of those things on Sunday morning, but you can see all these things happening here at this little church. And um, I want to read one verse for you, and we're going to talk about something that uh, is very relevant today. Matter of fact, it's relevant to any Christian. It's relevant to your marriage. It's relevant to your family. It's uh, even to our church, to our country, you name it. Um, This will be uh, something that's important for you to understand, to realize um, so Paul uh, opens up here giving thanks to God, talking about their assurance of the faith, talking about their marks of believers, and uh, much other things. But verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul begins mentioning this. He mentions it about 20 times through First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. He mentions it all through Corinthians. He mentions it all through the rest of his writings about even his own personal life. Um, in verse 6 he says, And you became followers of us. He's talking about Paul. Timothy, Silvanus, and he said, of the, and of the Lord, <clears throat> having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a second. Pump the brakes, right? He said, 
These people were saved. These people were trying to do church. These people were doing the right things. And now you hear they have affliction. They have persecution. They have trials. They have tribulations. Wait a minute. Uh, I don't understand because isn't when you become a Christian, um, shouldn't it be an easy road? Shouldn't it be a, an easy walk? Shouldn't, it be, shouldn't your life get easier when you become a Christian, not harder? Well, I think you're going to find out in Scripture, as you read through Scripture, you understand Scripture, those who are in the faith, those who are serving the Lord, still have opposition, still have trials, still have tribulations, still have uh, the reality of spiritual opposition. Um, later, on in this ver- uh, later on in this chapter and some other times, he says that uh, Paul uses terms like Satan hindered me, um, Satan uh, sifted Peter. We're going to talk a little bit about, more about this, but first, to understand the reality of spiritual opposition. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if we're going to grow as a church, if your marriage is going to grow as a godly marriage, if your home is going to be a godly home, you got to be ready to deal with the reality of spiritual opposition. Um, and you think about the perspective of spiritual opposition, uh, you know, most people fall on, you know, one extreme to the other. One side says it doesn't even exist. Uh, you know, there's, we, you ignore it, you neglect it. Um, that's weird stuff. Um, you know, to think about spiritual things and demons and Satan and all that stuff's just weird. Don't even talk about it. Then on the other hand, you have people who think they're, that they get obsessed with it. That every time they do something stupid, right, or every time they do something uh, that's not practical, anytime they do something that's not good, they say, well, it was the devil, it was the devil, it was the devil. And, uh, you know, they find a devil under every bush, you know. Um, Pastor Vines used to say that, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. You know, it was the devil. Um, the devil, the devil, devil. Um, but neither extreme is correct. And I hope by studying the Bible, learning the Bible, and especially for me being a preacher or a teacher, I try to be balanced. Um, because I think you will learn as you see Scripture and you understand truth, it's only good if it's in balance. You know, God's love is balanced by His justice. Is God a just and a righteous uh, God who will judge your sin? Absolutely, He will. Is He a loving God who accepts people and loves people and gives grace and mercy? Absolutely. Uh, The balance is true. You can't can't have one without the other. And the same with spiritual opposition. You can't bury your head in the sand and say it doesn't exist because it does. And if you're not prepared for it, it's going to overwhelm you. It's going to overrun you. Uh, but on the other hand, you can't be so obsessed with it that you're finding the devil uh, under every bush. So let's look at a biblical view of spiritual opposition um, tonight. That's what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about it here where we see it in Thessalonica here. You see it in our church. see it in your home, your family, our country. You see it just about everywhere uh, you look. So biblical view of who Satan is and his opposition to talk about how to deal with our spiritual walk. First, the identity of the spiritual opposition. The spiritual opposition uh, is named by Paul later on in Thessalonica, and we also have them all throughout the Bible. It's Satan. Satan is known as the great adversary. Um, he is also known as the devil, the serpent, Lucifer, um, the great deceiver, the evil one, the liar, the great adversary. I was going to say another name, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, anyhow, he's, he's through all these things. Uh, there was one older man who was in church, and uh, the devil came to church one Sunday. And he stormed through the whole congregation. Everybody fled. I mean, the pastor went out the one door. 
The deacons went out the back door. One old man stayed right on the front row and didn't move. That old devil whirled around, got right in his face, and he says, What's wrong with you? Don't you know who I am? He says, Of course I do. I've been married to your sister for 50 years. <laughs> uh, anyhow, that was a joke, by the way. Uh, anyhow, but if you think about it, when you think about the Bible, we're in Bible study, so I want you to think with me. The devil's origin really doesn't have a lot of information or detail. Um, what we know from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, you can write these down and go back and look later. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now, Lucifer uh, refers to uh, someone who had a lot of pride, someone whose voice was like bagpipes or voice like the wind. Some people say Lucifer was the music minister in heaven. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, anyhow, there, it's a lot of power in, in music, a lot of power who he had. He had influence. Uh, he had fallen from heaven. And you ask, well, why did he rebel against God? That's why you, you always got to look at the motive. Why would he rebel against God? Well, the reason can be summarized in one word, pride. Pride. Uh, the devil was so full of pride that he wanted to be God. And, and for most people, uh, we get to a point that we're tempted by Satan, by the oldest trick in the book by which he fell by, which is pride. You want to be God of your own life. People want to be God of this country. People want to be God of the world. People want to be God of, of, and make the rules. So Satan didn't like the rules. Lucifer didn't write rules. He became jealous and full of pride. He led a revolution and it says in Isaiah 14, 13, 14, it says, uh, carrying on, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, and I will make myself like the Most High. And if you read through the Bible, we see pictures of that. The Tower of Babel was built by man to reach God, to become like God, and he struck him down. I personally believe today we're building another Tower of Babel, but it's not a physical tower. It's a social media tower, by the way, or it's a technology tower. To where people believe that they are so smart that they can outsmart God. And, and, and if you think about it, anyone who has this goal will have the same result. They're going to be destroyed. They will not be able to overtake God. But Satan began by the goal of overtaking God and who he is. And he wants to destroy God. He wants to destroy his work. And he, he wants to destroy every purpose about it. And listen, most people play games with the devil, but he's only here for one purpose. In John 10, 10, it says the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. If you're not serving God, that's his plan for your life. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And you say, well, how does Satan accomplish this? Well, he has many weapons. Some of his weapons obviously are fallen demons. Um, these are angels that would have led uh, with or went with uh, Satan in the revolt, and they were fallen angels. Um, this is demon oppression. Um, sometimes we see it manifest as demon possession, demon oppression, um, spiritual beings that were um, at the disposal of God um, that fell with Satan. So we have, he has, he has demons. Um, he has the world system. And think about this. Um, the world system that opposes God. And it culminates in Revelation to where it says that the system or the world will want to make war with God. Think about that. That the goal 
of the world system is to, to, to come to a point to where they go to war with God. If you read Revelation, it's not that they don't know God. It's that they know God and they want to make war against God. Think about that. And, and, and you look to our world today in our system that's already in place and you see it working already. It's called the spirit of the Antichrist. Paul's going to talk about this extensively in, Thessalon- in Thessalonians here. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about the end of times. We're going to talk about all those things. But the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And he's bringing the world to a culmination to where they want to make war against God and anyone who stands for God. So the war is not Republican, Democrat. The war is not China, America. The world's not America versus uh, Russia. The war is against God. It is the world system that's going to lead us to a point to where the people uh, of this earth want to make war against God. That's what we consider the world system. So he has the demons, he has the world system, but he also has our sinful nature of man. This is the oldest one in the book, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Say, wow, they've been around a long time. Yeah, they work. (laughs) All right. If you look to our world today, you realize they work. Satan is constantly tempting people with the lust of their eyes, the lust of their flesh, and the pride of life. And you look at it in the Bible, you see he was relentless with this with Peter. It says that he's like a roaring lion to and fro from the ends of the earth looking for whom he may devour. That doesn't sound like someone who's on a, a field trip, right? He is, he is looking, he is opposing He is using his tools, the world system, your sinful nature. He's using demons. He's using all that he can against God and the people of God so that he can make war against God one day. So you think about it. What are some practical ways he works? For us as Christians, he can't have our hearts. So where does he work? In our minds. He works in our minds. He begins to to make you think the wrong way. And he knows he eventually can get you to act the wrong way. If you have hate in your mind, guess what's eventually going to come out in your life? You're going to act out on that hate. So he knows that he can work it in your mind. He can work bad thoughts. Uh, My dad told me, his dad used to tell him this, and I've heard other preachers say it, and I think it's so true. He said that you can't keep the devil from... Uh, you know, or the birds of the devil flying over, uh, you know, through your, through your mind, but you can keep them from making a nest in it, right? That, that you will have sinful thoughts, you will have sinful mindsets, but the devil works through that and he, he, he messes with your mind. That's why the Bible says to transform your mind, that we are to take the word of God and transform our mind, our way of thinking. Uh, my dad calls this stinking thinking, Right? Uh, it's that when you text someone, they don't text you back, you start to say, what's wrong with that person? Well, they didn't talk to me when I was at church. I don't know what their problem is. And next thing you know, they send you a text, which by the way, is texting not the best way for to be misunderstood or miscommunicated to people. But it's also a good excuse for people to say, oh, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> Liar. I know you think, no, stinking thinking. That's what I should say, right? Uh, but anyhow... You, you think about it, he begins in your mind. If you don't transform your mind, he, he begins by sowing a seed. Not only in your mind, he works in your family. And you want to get to somebody, you get to their family. You want to get to me, mess with my family. Mess with my wife, mess with my kids. 
Um, that's an easy way to, 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 to mess with some way or somehow. He practically works inside of families. And let me tell you, families have been destroyed because of unforgiveness. Families have been destroyed because the devil has put a root of bitterness in people's hearts. People haven't even talked to people or seen their family or their brothers or their sisters or even been around their families because the devil has sowed these seeds and he puts it in their families to split families because he knows that's where strength is. That's where power is. He, he does our mind. He does our family. does it in our marriage. He does it in our church. If he can sow discord among the brethren, he's got it. Why go out? In the, I mean, why go to church and fight with people when you can stay home and fight with people in the world, Right? And when he sows discord over colors of carpet or chairs or, you know, parking spaces or whatever else, he knows he's got it. He knows he can sow that discord. He knows he can put it out there and he can, he can, he can take it and he can make people of God fight over the silliest of things. Uh, and then also in our country. I think we see that very clear even today. Take good people, people who are patriots, people who love our country, people who serve our country. And people say that they're unfit for this country. They are, they are, and totally despise and hate someone just because of their political beliefs. Think about that. And, and, and you go through the whole list. And, and I would hope you would agree with me. You could see it at work even through all of it. Today, I told someone, I said, you know, I don't know if the world system is an eight-cylinder, but I would say it's running on all eight cylinders now, right? I mean, it is, it is cranking. I mean, the world system and Satan and all the things that he has, and he practically works in our minds, our families, our marriages, our church, and our country. You look at those five things, and you see what's under most attack today. Every one of those. Because he knows that's the core of who we are. He's like, well, all right, pastor, I'm going ready to go stick my head in the sand, Right? Man, I came to Wednesday night tired, I'm going to leave depressed, right? Don't, don't leave depressed, all right? That's the, that's the bad news. Let me share you some things about Satan. That's some good news. Number one, he's not God. He's not God. There is a God, and it's not Satan. And, and, the, and I love what one preacher said, even the devil is the God's devil. Meaning that even over the devil and Satan, an opposer, and adversary, there is a God, and Satan is not God. He does not have the final say. He does not have complete power. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-present. Think about that. Satan is not God. And also, Satan has been defeated by Jesus Christ. And in our spiritual life, and who we have in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our country, we can fight not for victory, but from victory. Because he has been defeated by, by Jesus Christ and the power that we have and the Holy Spirit and so when he comes to oppose us, when he comes to sow his seeds of discord, when he comes to your marriage, when he comes to your family, when he comes to your country, when he comes to these things and begins to sow discord in your mind and, and with people, here's what, here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. Number one, first, identify the enemy. Many of us fight battles against people, and our fight is not against people. The Satan, one of his other names that I gave you, was called the great deceiver. He's the great deceiver because he can make you feel or understand or think it's, you're fighting against someone when you're not. You're not fighting against someone or some person. You're fighting against Satan. He's, he's, the, he's the enemy. He's the one that we should fight against. Satan is the enemy. He was the enemy. He will be the enemy. 
And we must be wise in determining and identifying the enemy as Satan. You right here, Paul later on is saying, says, you attacked me, you hated me, you talked about me, but you missed it. He said, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. He's the one that's done it. He's the one that's done this, and he's the enemy. Ephesians 6, 12, it's a great verse of Scripture. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. I don't know if you've been married for a while. You come to a point where you realize sometimes you argue and you're upset over something and you really get down to the core of the matter and you realize there's nothing even really to the argument. There's nothing there. But yet, you're mad at each other. You're arguing with one another. You let it affect your peace and your joy and your family. And you got to sit down and realize, you know what? It's not us. It's Satan. It's him sowing discord in our marriage. It's him sowing discord in our church. It's him sowing discord in our country. It's, it's that we got to identify the enemy. We know that we must look past whoever is opposing us and identify the enemy. And this is tough. It's tough because when, when someone comes to you and they oppose you or they go against you or they say something bad about you, you want to lash out at them. You want to, you know, you want to take them and grab them by the back, pat them on the back. That's what you want to do, right? No, you want to physically fight them. You want to physically fight them. And you want to physically think you can tell them something. You want to physically fix it yourself. But you got to realize when you're in something like this and it's a spiritual attack, the enemy is not a person. The enemy is Satan. He's the one we must identify and say, here's the enemy and here's how I must do it. Number two, we got to fight our battles, not in our flesh, but in our spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. See that? We may walk in the flesh, we may have physical bodies, but we do not war against, uh, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word carnal means earthly. It means physical. It means something of this world. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See that? Now this is tough. Because like I said, every thought that comes in your mind, you bring it into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. You filter it through the lens and the filter of who Jesus Christ is in your life. And many times we fight our battles and we want to fight them in the flesh. Man, if I could just give her a piece of my mind, right? Man, if I could just tell him, he will know it. And when we first met her and I first got married, I thought for sure I could change her. But guess who needed to be changed? Me, <laughs> right? You realize if you think you can't, and listen, if you're, if you're in a part where you realize you can't change anyone, it's God who changes them. And it's God who changes the heart. It is God. And you can argue until you're blue in the face. You could try your hardest, and yet... It is not our battle in the flesh. It's our battle in the spirit. You think about how much effort you put into the battle in our flesh compared to how much effort you put into battle in the spirit. I think if we prayed more than we argued, our marriages would be to have a lot more peace. I think if we prayed more than we argued at church, I think our church would be a lot more powerful. 
I think if we prayed more than argued in our country, I think we'd have a lot better country. I think if we prayed and sought God and really got true with God and, and turned from our ways, I, I know he would hear us. I know he would heal our land. But yet, we want to fight in the flesh. But Paul says, don't fight in the flesh. Your battle's not with the flesh. You need to fight in the spirit. You say, well, how does that happen in the spirit? Two weapons, the word of God and prayer. We're going to talk about the word of God Sunday too. But just to give you a couple verses about the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think about that. It is living. It is powerful. It is sharper. It pierces. And it is even a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, when you understand the, wor- the power of the word of God in your life, things will change for you. When you realize one of your greatest weapons is God's word. Let me just share some favorite weapons of mine from the scripture. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God. Little children, you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Think about that. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I mean, that's a simple scripture, but man, that's a powerful scripture. To remember that whatever you face at school, whatever you face against opposition, whatever you face in this world, that it is greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That the power of Christ is in me is greater than anything I can face in this world. Isaiah 54, 17. I got this one from my dad. As a matter of fact, the page of the Bible is actually right there in the footing of the church here. Uh, and we actually put it on that side. Some of you know what happened on that side over there. That, <laughs> that's on that side because it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Think about that. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It didn't say that they wouldn't be formed against you, right? No, they will be formed against you. But what does it say? They will not prosper. That, that God will overcome them. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Meaning that you will be righteous before God. And anyone who brings a false accusation against you. And anyone who forms a weapon against you. It will not prosper. Isaiah 54, 17. Then Romans 8, 37 and 38. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that. That nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Since I've been in the ministry, this is one of my favorites. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning that what God starts in your life, he's going to finish. He will bring it to pass. And that's just scratching the surface. That's just a few. And I've challenged people, and I challenge you as well, if you don't have a life scripture, 
If you don't have a scripture that you tie onto, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great life scripture. Uh, Philippians 4, 13, several of them. You've you got to have the Word of God available to you in memory or in a form that you can quote that you need at any moment. And it is a powerful weapon when we use the Word of God. And the second one is that when we pray. Listen, when we hit our knees. When we get on our knees, Satan trembles. If you don't think so, try to pray and see what happens. Your phone's going to ring. Text message is going to happen. Your pipes are going to burst in your house. You, know, you name it. It's going to happen. Something will happen. And when you pray and you get serious with God, listen, he knows. I always say this, and I love the way it was put one time to me. When you pray, you're asking God to get involved in your situation. That's what it is. When we pray, we're inviting God to do something supernatural in our natural lives. As us getting our knees to pray consistently, fervently, and, and, and frequently that God would go to work on our behalf. That you can ask, you can pray, you can desire, you can ask God to work on your behalf. And like I said before, imagine your marriage if you pray more. Imagine your church if you pray more. Imagine your country if you pray more. We need to pray consistently, pray frequently, and pray fervently. Matter of fact, in the model prayer, Jesus himself said, pray and deliver us from the evil one. Think about that. Now listen, don't, don't go out of here and think, well, the devil's a, devil's a sissy. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and beat him up. Listen, you don't want to fight with the devil. All right, listen, he's, he's not a punk. He's not going to give up and run or hide. But if we use the word of God and we use prayer, the devil may hinder us, but he won't defeat us. The devil may persecute us, but he won't overcome us. He, he may come after you, but he's not going to get all of you because the bottom line is Satan can do all that he can, and it's still not enough because God is greater than Satan, period. That's all there is to it. And, and when you think about it, you come to the very end in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, and I'm waiting for this day, the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Man, wouldn't that be a great day when Satan's finally gone? When he finally hits the, the lake of fire and he'll be gone forever. No more opposing God, no more opposing God's people, no more uh, opposing us as Christians, and yet he will be gone forever. So as Paul says, as he talks about it, with much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you say, how can you have joy in the midst of all that? Because you know that God wins. You know you have the weapons available to you to fight the enemy, to overcome the enemy. And so maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what? That's exactly where I am. Man, and listen, you're not in a battle against your kids. You're in a battle against the enemy. You're not in a battle against our country. You're in a battle against the enemy. You're not in a battle in your marriage against your spouse. That's not the enemy. We have a clear enemy, and we identify him. We know who he is, and we know that he opposes, and we know he afflicts, and we know that he tries to hinder all that God does. And, and, and for us as Christians, we are to identify that. And the, and the more we identify it, the more we realize it, and the more that we overcome it, the better we get at overcoming it. And in our marriage, sometimes you just need to stop and say, wait a minute, time out. 
Let's seek God and pray because this is not me against you. This is God against the evil one. And listen, no more than that, even in your kid's life, in our church, in our country, all those things. There's a clear enemy. He's going to oppose everything there is to God, but we can still press on. And I, and I really hope this sets the tone for the rest of the, of, of the rest of the letter. Because if we get through the rest of the letter, we really see how the coming of the Lord and how he encourages them, not even just for the future kingdom to come, because the earthly kingdom, as we know, will, will end up failing and trying to make war against God. It's a very, very interesting part. So for us tonight, I hope maybe a scripture that I gave you, you can quote. Maybe a prayer that you can pray. Maybe something in your heart and your life that you can take to the Lord um, in prayer. So let's pray over these scriptures tonight.